0: Welcome to the Vincast, Australia's number one podcast dedicated to the world of wine. Uh, Every Tuesday I try and bring out a new episode of the show with uh, another amazing guest, Uh, and as soon as I do um, with people downloading the episode, uh, I managed to get into the top 10 of the food category of podcasts in Australia Uh, and uh, a really fantastic way to help me get the word out about the podcast and reach new listeners is when people do actually subscribe and download uh, via the different podcast sharing apps and programs like iTunes uh, and uh, particularly when they subscribe and leave a rating and review. So you can actually help me to grow the the podcast and um, reach more people by uh, simply leaving a rating and a review I really do appreciate it uh, and also it's fantastic to hear from listeners uh, to give pre- feedback to myself to potential listeners and more importantly to potential guests so thanks guys for listening to this week's episode I hope you enjoy it On episode 109 of the Vincast, I chat with Ashley Ratcliffe, someone who has worked for a number of the most important wine producers in Australia in many different roles and has now thrown himself 100% into growing alternative grape varieties in the Riverland region of South Australia under his Ricaterra Farms brand. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vincast. My name is James Gasbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino, and as always guys, thank you for joining us for another week. Uh, before we get started on this week's episode, uh, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for all their support uh, of my uh, different digital content, whether it's my podcast, my YouTube channel, uh, my Blog, uh, or even you know some of my social media channels. Uh, I really do appreciate uh, and great, and I'm grateful for the support. Uh, because as previously mentioned, uh, I was a finalist for Digital One Communicator of the Year in the One Communicator of Australia Awards. Uh, I went up to Sydney last week. It was just really humbling to be considered in really fantastic uh, company Uh, and um, I was actually a previous uh, guest of the podcast, Jane Thompson, who was the winner of the award uh, and really she has done absolutely sterling work in the past year in particular. Uh, not just uh, with the fabulous ladies wine society, but uh, particularly for the Australian Women in Wine Awards, uh, which actually uh, celebrates uh, the awards uh, tonight. Uh, tonight, the, the the night of the the podcast becoming live. So uh, tune in. Uh, I think from about six o'clock onwards, uh, there's going to be uh, different um, events going on around the country. I think they're trying to get a hundred different uh, locations, something like that. So. Uh, Keep an eye on social media and really do uh, congratulate Jane uh, for the amazing work she has done in the digital sphere of wine communication. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, thank you guys for all your support. Um, it's uh, it's really uh, rewarding to to be recognized but also just to get some fantastic feedback from from you, the listeners. So please do get in touch with me uh, if you'd like to. Uh, let me know if you enjoy the podcast, if you want to suggest a uh, guest you might want to hear uh, or you, if, if you'd like to just say hello, uh, you can actually g- get me on email, uh, thevincast at gmail.com uh, and come and visit me at intrepidwino.com. So for this week, uh, uh, someone that I've uh, really wanted to talk to for quite a long time, Uh, Is Ashley Ratcliffe. Uh, He's become very, uh, very firm and fast friends, uh, and particularly he's a bit of a viticultural hero of mine uh, because he's working with alternative grape varieties, particularly Italian grape varieties, which uh, I make no bones about that I have a great love affair with. Uh, And so I was really, really grateful to be able to sit down with him whilst we were both at the Alternative Varieties Wine Show in Mildura recently uh, and chat about his background. Uh, He's worked in lots of different parts of the, uh, the wine industry uh, and is really really making some amazing strides in, uh, in a very maligned region uh, he's very proud of the riverland region so he wants to uh, show that it can produce really high quality grapes so i hope you enjoy a uh, chat and uh, if you did please stick around to the end to find out how to get in touch with either of us uh, but until then i'll see you on the other side Ashley, we are sitting on the banks, kind of, of the, uh, the Murray River here in Mildura on a lovely su- sunny Saturday morning, late in the week, here at Alternative Varieties Wine Show. I'm feeling very dusty, but <clears throat> we push through. Thank you very much for, uh, for, for sitting down with me uh, on the Vincast. That is a pleasure, James. Um, And uh, you may know, I uh, typically start every episode of my podcast by asking my guest uh, if they can remember uh, if there was a particular incident, uh, interaction with wine that uh, sort of set them on the path of uh, wanting to work in the wine industry. Um, Well,
1: I can't think of one thing in particular, but I do remember as about a six-year-old being in the back of my dad's um, Sandman Holden vehicle. And uh, he left a flagon of riesling in there, and my brother and I started to have a bit of a drink, and uh, so we picked up uh, very early in life uh, an understanding of wine. How much of the flagon was left by the end? <laughs> Still a fair bit. Okay, yeah. And so your dad didn't notice? No, no, we didn't. didn't uh, he
0: he did notice, but because we fell out the back. Where did you grow up? Uh, Adelaide Hills. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And your family w- wasn't involved in the wine industry at all? Uh, no, uh,
1: my uh, parents met in uh, Scotland Yard. What do you mean? In in England, not not in the right side. My oh, dad was a detective. Oh, okay. And uh, I think my mum was reception girl or something. Right. Um, reception woman. And they're both, um, they're both they're both English. They're both English. I was I was born in Essex. Oh wow. Okay. Yes. It came over when I was very very small to right. Australia. What brought uh, them over here? I don't
0: know. I think maybe something might have gone down in Scotland Yard that they had to get out quickly. Okay. Got out of dodge. Yeah. Um, so you grow? I mean, when you were growing up in the Adelaide Hills, was there much wine no, made, uh, made there? There was. We had a farm. We had about 100,
1: and, I think, about 150 acres, and um, I uh, we had just sheep and cattle. I rode horses a lot. We rode a lot of horses, so that was that was always good, really good growing up as a kid. Always, uh, you know, running around, getting in trouble, uh, had a lot of freedom. Um, but then when I met my wife Holly, we decided to plant a, uh, a vineyard. Uh, an acre vineyard of Chardonnay. She, that's the reason I married her, because like, she could plant a really good vineyard. Okay. She was very good at digging holes and putting vines in. So I thought she's
0: a keeper. But 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 why, why, How did you get interested in wine? And were you working in the wine industry before? Uh, actually, it's a long story. My first job went to
1: studied agriculture at uh, Roseworthy. My first job was um, I was a uh, a broiler hut, a broiler house farm manager for Ingham's chickens, and my mate said to me, "What are you doing in?" Um, working in the chicken industry, and I said, well, I don't really like it. So he got me a job uh, with a company called Farmer John's in the Barossa uh, as a field agronomist, and, of course, the crops I looked after were grapes and cherries and apples and etc. And then in a matter of 18 months, when the wine industry boomed, uh, I was uh, employed by Orlando as a grow liaison. So that was back in
0: 1992, I think. Okay. And, and there would have been a lot of vineyards being planted, you know, the demand for for wine grapes. It was no, near, you know, no any, you know that,
1: that the 90s was an amazing, you know, an amazing time, you know, you, it's, you never, every, you, people thought that the, the there would never be this bust in the wine industry, it was just, you know, it was almost, you know, going upwards mm. at a rate of knots. So it's a good time. So that's how I really got involved with the, then I studied viticulture and then I went on and, and studied uh, uh, marketing down at Monash University. In Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. I oh, do right. a Master's in Marketing and
0: Wine Technology at Monash. Okay. So when you were working as a grower liaison, mm-hmm. um, were you working across a lot of different regions? Did you, did you get an opportunity to sort of... Yep, mainly in, mainly in South Australia. So it was really the River, uh, Riverland, uh,
1: Barossa, Clare, McLaren Vale, Coonawarra South East... And then when I was uh, with your lumber, you know, a bit of King Valley and uh, those sort of places. So yeah, a lot of areas. Griffith.
0: Spent a lot of time in Griffith. Mm-hmm. Like Griffith. Mm-hmm. As a grower liaison, did you like working with, you know, the the the, the families, the farmers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. i I've I just I just like
1: you know the farming, farming families and and no, they're just good people. Yeah. Frustrating sometimes, but generally most of them are really good. They yeah yeah they're,
0: there's mm. that, that honesty and that mm. you know fairly, you know, sometimes simple attitude towards things can, you can, yeah you know, butt heads sometimes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, and were you drinking um, more? Like, were you trying to... Like to, during the day when I was seeing the growers no, or... No, 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 just in general, <laughs> just, just at home.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, always, uh, wine's been a big part of our lives, so, you know, I've always um, had an appreciation for wine. Mm-hmm. Probably not as much as, I, I don't get, you know, I, I, I just look, I like wines that are just, you uh, Easy drinking, I'm, you know. I, you know, I think on a scale of ten, I would, in regards to wine appreciation and wine super passion, I'm probably sitting at about a seven.
0: <laughs> okay,
1: you know, yeah, that's good. But yeah, I think seven. Uh, I mean, I don't really get all <clears throat> too excited when this, you know, a great label
0: comes out. Mm. I mean, I like bag and box as well. Yes. Mm. You 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 mentioned that yesterday mm. the talking taste. Mm. Uh, but, um. So wh- when did you start working for your lumber? Fourteen years ago. Yeah, and and what where did you start doing there? Uh, I was the
1: technical manager for viticulture. Okay. And then I went into an agribusiness manager's role. Uh, looked after grow liaison, Looked after vineyards. Had a role uh, with the nursery managing the um, the marketing. And sales for a bit, and then uh, went on to run Ox- the Oxford Landing Winery, which is a thirty-six thousand ton winery, mm-hmm. and then uh, went into manage the uh, bottling and logistics. And then last Thursday, that was it. Yeah, I'm now, <laughs> I'm now just sitting <laughs> free, on the side of the free river, river. Oh. freelance. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, was it a, a, a big change going from you know Orlando Wyndham? You know, a, a I mean, it was corporate by that point. Yes, definitely. To, um, you know, obviously quite sizable, but still a family-owned uh, wine business. Was that? Was that? Well, quite between
1: between uh, Orlando and Yolumba, I actually worked for a group called Curability. as a grow liaison and I noticed this recognised this that you know while I've, I had some technical skills I really felt my deficiency was on hands on you mm-hmm. know. That. so I had the opportunity to put in 700 acres of vineyard in one year uh, at Langhorne Creek and when I had the opportunity to do that I just took it and thought right so it was an interesting I think I was in that role for two years and um, learned a lot because 700 acres in uh, in one year is, is a hell of a lot of vineyard and uh, it's just managing people and supplies. And then ended up going from, and when I was at Kirribilli, uh, ended up going on to be their group business manager. So looking after um, customers and of investors, um, ended up setting up a business as a contract grow liaison for Casella Wines and that's really before Yellowtail really took off so I was looking after all the grape intake in South Australia here in Mildura and uh, some of the larger customers for John Casella in Griffith and then it was, then I went to uh, to, to uh, Yalamba. Yeah, okay.
0: So um, what did you particularly enjoy about uh, working uh, in, in the vineyards? like what, As far as viticulture, why did you connect with that? Like well, I've always, like, I've always
1: liked farming. You know, it's, it's my passion. Um, I like always, as a kid, like growing stuff, you know, veggies. So oh, I've always wanted to get into farming. So, uh, I don't know, it's just the lifestyle, the people. Um, there's a certain satis- level of satisfaction when you can grow something. I mean, we've had meals sometimes at home where we've grown and made everything, you know, and that could be the wine... Or the um, you know, or the vegetables, you know, everything. There's quite a satisfying feeling, though, that you know everything on the table we've um, we've produced
0: ourselves. Mm. Very rarely we do that, but it is a we do it from time to time. Absolutely. Uh, tell me a bit about about the, the the marketing studies. Like, why did you decide to, to go off and, and do those studies? Uh, what did I do there? Well, a lecturer at the time at uh, CSU when I did
1: my vidi degree said, "Why don't you um, you should come and uh, come down to Monash and see what courses that." they offer. And I saw one in marketing. I've always liked marketing. I've had a real interest in buyer behavior and all that sort of stuff. So I was really fortunate when I was working with Yulama because I'm very supportive of uh, people, you know, expanding their horizons and their knowledge. And so for me to go into a uh, study marketing, obviously that doesn't fit into viticulture, but they uh, they supported that. And I loved it. I, I think if I could go back and do my career again, um, I think I'd probably go down the marketing I really love marketing. I just think it's just amazing. A lot of a lot of people don't give it the credit that it's needed. I mean, it's just a, a real. It is a science and an art of you know making something and putting a brand on it and getting people to actually fall in love with that brand.
0: Mm. It's something that we do take for granted, and you you don't realize that you know almost everything you do is marketing related. Mm. And you have to think, you know, and just the the uh, the act of thinking about your customers and 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 how they might be responding to your brand that just that is probably just the, the most important marketing you can do uh you know yesterday obviously we both sat in on the uh, talk and taste um element of the the wine show here in Mildura and Larry Lockshin you know spoke about branding and uh you know <laughs> I, I I did sort of have some flashbacks to my my wine marketing wine business studies at Adelaide University but you know with the, a lot of these small producers they don't realise that everything they're doing is, is marketing, you know, everything any anything that the, the, the customer can actually connect with is marketing and, and you have to think about um, how your brand is being communicated and, and it, that everything you do does communicate that so um, you had a, a fairly uh, diverse um, tenure at lumber uh, did, did you really appreciate the opportunity to to work in different elements of that business yeah look they're um
1: you know i, I, I can't really uh um you know put into words that they're, they're an amazing company and a, an amazing family that owns them and and to have the as a viticulturalist too uh you know where my heart is to have been able to run a winery and understand how wineries work and and the complexities of of managing a large winery to to, to go to bottling and packaging which uh, you know it's really uh It's the unsung hero of our industry, you know. No one really wants to get into, not many people want to get into bottling and packaging because it's just vintage every day of the year, and there's so many things that can go wrong. So uh, to actually have that experience under my, uh, we were at dinner last night, and I saw this odd bottle come across the table, and the first thing I thought about was sitting next to Bruce and Jenny Chalmers and saying, "Oh my God, that that would be a nightmare bottling that uh, wine." So you you sort of. you do get a new appreciation of how difficult it is from growing the grapes to actually putting them putting that wine onto a table.
0: Yeah. Um so when when was the first when was the first time you planted your own vineyard? Uh we started our first vineyard
1: we bought was two thousand and three. Okay. Where was that? In the river. Riverland. In the Riverland. Our first one we planted was our Chardonnay vineyard in Adelaide Hills, which was 1992 or 3, something like that. Okay.
0: What happened to that one? Um, it stayed
1: there. My mum and dad sold the property, and uh, we didn't have much consultation about the future of the vineyards. Oh, dear. <laughs> So. <laughs> and, then actually, and actually, they bought another farm, and uh, we actually nearly... Uh, we were going to plant... My brother and I were going to plant Sauvignon Blanc on it, which would have been actually... Uh, at the time, would have been an absolute uh, Monty. Uh, Absolutely, but yeah. Uh, we didn't do that, so we did never became Adelaide Hills grape
0: growers. Right, okay. So, um, what was it that um, brought you to the Riverland? Why did you decide to to buy and and, and then plant a vineyard? Yeah.
1: Well, um, I've lived in the lived in two places in my life. One's been the Adelaide Hills, and the other has been Anguston in, in the Barossa. Yep and uh, I love the Barossa and I'd love to have bought a vineyard there but at 30, how old was I, 32, 33 years of age um, we moved there, the idea of buying a vineyard was just out of our you know, financial reach yeah. so I'd been in the Riverland quite a bit and decided that, you know this is when prices were of Chardonnay was $900 a tonne so the numbers looked really good um, to buy a vineyard in the river so we thought, well let's, let's buy one so we bought a vineyard and it was 20 acres, and uh, that's where we started. And there were, at that stage, there was no idea whatsoever to plant alternative varieties. It was just, you know, the numbers looked good. Let's grow Chardonnay, Cabernet, and Shiraz, and do what everybody else was doing around us.
0: So you you were basically, um, what like what you were doing as a, as a grow liaison, you were like, we're just going to grow grapes and then sell them. Yeah, exactly right. And, and the vineyard was planted to Chardonnay? Yep, all the traditional all the varieties. Traditional, okay. A bit of Sultana. I remember
1: I remember that. the very first patch of grapes I picked was an acre of sultana and uh I was on the back of the harvester and I think we picked 22 tons off an acre. Wow. And I I thought wow that that's what I thought go. Um nice. <laughs> it's a lot of fruit but uh we pulled that out straight away because
0: I don't think sultanas were a part of our uh, long-term vision. No. Um and uh, so this you you bought that in 2002 Three, three. Yep. And then, you know, not long after that, sort of the, the market changed, uh, you would have to say. Mm. Um, and, and so did that kind of impact on you and, and your decisions about what you want to do with the vineyard? Yeah, it forced our hand really.
1: And that's where the marketing side of things really kicked in because I thought to myself, we can't continue to be growing. And I look, I'll be honest, I had budget. I, I had worst case scenario of fruit getting down to maybe $500 a tonne. And I thought, at $500 a tonne, OK, that's still OK. But when prices started to uh, go past that point, I just thought to myself, you know, we have to find a competitive advantage. We need to stand out a little bit. We need to be different from our neighbours. You know, we were we were we were, we realised that the issue with water was only going to get worse with availability. So we... Um, we uh, came to actually this wine show, and uh, I came out of it thinking, you know, this is the way forward. We need to look at things like alternative varieties and how we're managing our vineyards. So uh, that's what we did, and we went. We, and then I also thought, well, why can't after going to Sicily and Apulia and etcetera, why can't we grow premium wine grapes in the Riverland? So that started the, the journey.
0: Okay, so it was it was here at the Alternative Varieties Wine Show that you would. Sort of first, yeah, quite seriously introduced to uh, Italian grapes and, mm. and and Spanish grapes, that kind of thing. So, uh, so you, so you travelled over to Italy and, and yep. did some yep. research
1: yep. Oh, after. You know, we, we've our first alternative two alternative varieties put in were Vermentino and Neradavla. Okay, um, and after planting those varieties and when they were getting established, we travelled to uh, travelled to Italy a number of times just to get a bit of an idea of what um, um,
0: you know how these how these varieties were growing in their homeland. Mm. So I mean you talked about how important marketing has been um how did that sort of come into your mind when you were starting to um make the shift away from very classic varieties uh to the alternative grapes
1: Well there's two things I looked at obviously it's one thing to, to plan alternative varieties but you know my view was how how could I value add that how could I let the world know and I mean I mean we're so blessed these days having social media where you can, you know, once upon a time you'd, you'd have to advertise through the newspaper or radio or television, which is extremely expensive and, you know, it's gone in a flash. Now, um, you know, social media gives you so much opportunity to tell your story. So the key thing was that all, was not only to plant these varieties, but it was to build the brand, and that's what I thought we've got to get some brand value and that's where we came up with Ricotera Farms and, um, and said, okay, that brand needs to mean something and for us it means that, you know, you know, the brand for me is really about uh, you know a family and a farm trying to make a difference uh, in an industry and in a region and um, you know, that's what means a lot to us. I actually think, you know, I was talking to Larry yesterday about this branding and said, look, to me, the brand, the Riccaterra Farms brand, I feel, was more valued to me than the vineyard is.
0: Yeah. So um, what decisions did you make as far as how you wanted to work with these alternative varieties? Did you, did you think about them in quite a different way uh, You know, as far as because no doubt um, irrigation was Mm -hmm. a a pretty important thing. You know, as we were walking down to the river, you talked about you know the prices of water, uh, you know, and and accessibility to it. Uh, So, was that a a big part of the decision making Uh, when you were when you were converting over to the alternative varieties? The key, the key thing in the back of my mind, I always,
1: you know, spending a lot of time with winemakers was that there was a perception about the Riverland being you know a bulk wine you know, high crops. So as soon as you made mention, oh, we we're Riverland um, grape growers. You know, it was, oh, you're just Riverland, you're, you know, you're you're cheap and cheerful. So our approach was, okay, we're going to get winemakers coming into our vineyards. We want them to go, the first thing is, wow, this isn't what I expected. So it's all single wire, it's all hand-pruned. It's, it's This is often the alternatives. Uh, it's all VSP'd. Um, you know, we, that we, we want people to walk out of that going, I didn't expect your vineyards to look like this. And then... That started and then we had people like, you know, a number of winemakers starting to um, buy fruit from us. And then all of a sudden we, we noticed a lot of these uh, winemakers were, were putting Riccaterra Farms or referencing our farm on their labels. So it became a bit of a snowball effect. So the key thing is, yes, the, the technical sort of stuff of growing, you know, with the water and mulching and all that sort of stuff was important. But the very first thing on my mind is how am I going to change my customer being the winemaker's view of the Riverland and our vineyard? So we had to go back and grow premium grapes in a
0: premium style. So um, some of your early clients for, for the fruit, uh, you know, from the Italian grapes, um, you know, they're, they're considered some of the most dynamic uh, wine producers, um, but, but they a lot of the time they've come from fairly diverse backgrounds themselves, and they've been uh, introduced to uh, those varieties, whether they're from, you know, their native homeland in Italy. Um, do you think that was a really important part of the, you know, the, the bringing attention to Ricaterra yep. Farms? You know, people like uh, former guests of the podcast Brad Hickey from you know Brash Higgins uh, and Brendan and Laura Carter from Unicozello. Do you think that was really important for them? You know, to come in and and really try and do something different, and that brought a, quite a bit of attention to the Ricaterra Farms w- with brand. A, Without question, I mean, look, the one person, one of our very
1: first customers, is about trust. I mean, all of a sudden, if it's, it's like that third party endorsement and if, if brad pitt's you know you know wearing your watch um you know there's that that's uh you know i want to look like brad um so you, you know people go out and buy that type of watch that the person that really started it for us is probably sue Bell. i mean Sue's, you know we, we're very good friends and um i'm really proud of what she's done with that rose i mean it's, it is it is probably one of my favorite wines i love drinking it um it's a it's a nice wine, but Sue's so, so trusted and respected. So when she sort of got on board and said, you, look, you know, we're uh, we're going to make uh, some some wine from your grapes in the Riverland, I mean, she made a statement really to the industry that, you know, if I'm, I'm willing to do this. And then that wine, I think it was the first wine we, we made, won the trophy here for Best Rosé. So a lot of people took notice of that. And, you know, people like Brad and Brad Weir and, um, Brendan and Laura and, and Sam Yu and um, De La Quente and Alex Russell, the list goes on. Um, they all in their own way have helped support uh, our brand, but also more importantly, what they've done is they've helped uh, show the, the rest of the industry that the Riverland can actually make some pretty good wine if grown the right way and made the right way.
0: Absolutely. Uh, but I think, you know, when you're talking about the, the fact that they were promoting ricotera farms and they were quite transparent about where the fruit was coming from uh, I think I think that's probably important because you know as you mentioned Riverland to a large extent has uh, associations with you know large volumes um, you know very simple wines mm. so for them to if they if they just put Riverland people would go eh. but mm. if they're saying you no know, we you know re- this is from Ricotera farms people kind of would take more notice and then think a little bit more about you know how grapes can be grown in a different way in mm. the Riverland, uh, and, and I know that um, when 21st Century Vino was being uh, run in Melbourne, unfortunately I wasn't able to attend. But um, I remember Brendan and Laura were coming into town. And they said Ashley's actually set up; he's, he, he's bought a, 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 a booth for to, to promote wines mm. that have been made from grapes grown at Ricotera Farms. That was a pretty bold decision. Do you think? Yeah. Look, you know. Um we actually on that that event we went down
1: to Harry and Frankie's and um, we had a tasting there the the night before. I mean, I think a role, my role um, as a grower, is more than just growing grapes. You know, I need to make sure that my customers are selling wine, so I spend an enormous amount of time uh, trying to do the marketing. You know, social again, social media. Whenever I see one of our customers' wines written up, we um, you know we retweet it you know we're always sending and encouraging our producers to send uh wines to the, the journalists uh, like hugh and hawk and max and and jane and, and always trying to help wherever i can to uh, help them uh, build their brands and their story so uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's really important that you know they all work and, and unfortunately you know unfortunately is a lot of growers don't get that they don't they just think their job finishes when the grapes hit the, uh, the waybridge. Um, and look, and the region, you know, I love the Riverland and it needs the region, the industry needs the big volumes. I mean, on a, on a winery like Oxford Landing, you know, can't operate with alternative varieties. It needs large volumes of fruit to go through and um, and, and good quality fruit. I mean, I, I, I love the Oxford Landing Sauvignon Blanc. Great, great wine. And I remember having an argument with a very well-known winemaker that, you know, you couldn't grow... Um, Sauvignon Blanc in the Riverland and I said well you know you can and they said well it's no, no good and I said well you know look at Oxford Landing Sauvignon Blanc it, it keeps going from strength to strength somebody likes that wine so it's
0: what they were saying was wrong I believed yeah did you uh, think it was quite important that relationship with your customer you know which is the, the people who are buying the fruit and making wine from it um, that you know that you were both working together all the way along you know, from, from vineyard to the consumer and and did you appreciate the opportunities for things to work backwards and to receive that kind of feedback back through them and, and encouragement and, and, and no doubt, you know, they would have said, oh, what about you, you grow this variety, variety? You know, I'm interested to make wines from that. Was that really important as well? Yeah, look, it's that two-way communication is and, and the respect
1: is, is so important and that, that comes from not only the um, um, people who drink that wine, uh, and the winemakers, but also, you know, people that help. me. I mean, I don't. It's, it's it's not a one-man band at Riccartera Farms. You I know, mean, I can't. There goes the train. I can't. Uh, I can't do that. So we've got you know Neil Borton and Luke Wagner who who uh, who actually help run the vineyard. Holly does a an amazing job running the um, you know behind the scenes, doing the bookwork. She keeps wanting to resign, and I keep telling her performance reviews are outstanding, so she can't <laughs> go anywhere. Uh, but look. It, that feedback from whether it be winemakers whether it be people, even like yourself sitting here talking and saying look you know um, have you th- considered this I mean I think the day that you become arrogant and, um, and shut up shop and, and not willing to listen is the day that you're going to start failing so yeah. I'm, I, I try and soak as much information as I can
0: in. So um, what sort of uh, experience uh, and um, how did uh, your travels to Italy kind of feed into what you were doing uh, in the vineyard um for me,
1: uh, it wasn't so much about the grapes, it was about the culture. I really liked that sort of the family and i I really like southern Italy more than northern italy i I, I just I just like that rusticness about uh, southern Italy and how the you know the farmers sort of tended to their small patches of vineyard and the kids were around and all that sort of stuff and the trains they had good trains in Italy as well
0: very quick It's interesting that you know you talk about that as far as you know the the culture in Italy you know particularly in the south you know it's very simple uh and you said that you know you like fairly simple you know like honest wines do do you think that also kind of influenced you as far as your your tastes in wines you do you appreciate those kind of wines from Italy as well yes yes I mean uh without question I mean
1: growing up in the Barossa you know I'm, I'm actually I like Shiraz but I'm not really a big fan of these big alcoholic not saying they're you know there's so many great wines out of the Barossa, but I, that's uh, the reason I like Italian and and alternative varieties. I like the the sort of lighter styles, simpler, um, more food wines that sure. you sit down with a pizza or a sandwich, and you know, that's that's the sort of wines I like. And I guess it's sort of me. I I don't like being complicated.
0: I just you know <laughs> I like my shorts, t shirts, and walking around with thongs. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And no doubt you uh, kept coming back to the alternative varieties wine show. Obviously, you know you would have no doubt encouraged your customers to submit their wines into mm-hmm. the show to sort of that's right. Yep. To, to see how they go, and and you know your involvement is uh, going to become even more, <laughs> more so because uh, you know you're you're now going to be president is correct yes uh and 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 that's also no doubt you know been a a really fantastic resource for you um and and helping you um make Ricotera farms bigger and better and 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 working better for the community yep i think this uh, wine show um is um it's one of my favorite weekends of the
1: year i mean there's christmas it doesn't always fall on the weekend, as you know. Um, but uh, this is probably—I uh, rate this probably better than my. If I was, if I was born a week uh, later, I would have had the uh, my birthday at the alternative variety wine show, and that wouldn't—that have been great. I would yeah, have loved it. But apparently. no, I like, look, this show has done so much for the Australian wine industry. And I was sitting next to Bruce and Jenny last night for dinner, and and they—they um, they didn't agree with me on this point, but they're wrong. I said to, the, to both Bruce and Jenny that. Um, they have saved so many families. Um, I think if they didn't bring alternative varieties into Australia, um, I'm not quite sure whether I would still be in the industry. Right. And I think there's a lot of people that are probably in the same boat, and I don't know if they realise you know, what they've done. And uh, so they're, they're amazing uh, amazing people, Bruce and Jenny. I've got so much time for them and got a lovely farm. And uh, like I said, really, at the end of the day, if they didn't take that... That bold move when they did uh, and bring these varieties in, I, I think the Australian wine industry would be um, uh, a much poorer, uh, a much much less exciting place than it is today. So I think that uh, this weekend's great. I, it is a great opportunity to uh, bring our, um, encourage our customers' wines to be here and, it's, um, and it is good for our business. There's no question being up here and mingling and talking to uh, people and that's where, you know, Brendan and, Brendan and Laura where we first met them was here. And I remember driving back and Brendan gave me a telephone call and said, any chance of getting some alternative varieties from you? Mm. And it really started out at this show. Yeah.
0: And and, and I think um, what you talked about uh, before as far as, you know, that, that bubble uh, of the 90s and, you know, everything seemed good when the bubble did burst and, um, you know, prices started to go down for, for, for grapes uh, and, um, you know, Australian wine sort of had to to start to, to evolve and reinvent itself, and I think that that's one of the the more interesting ways that it's been doing that is with the alternative varieties, uh, you know. And and I think that it is an opportunity for for growers and for winemakers and for you know the 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 people who actually buy the wines to see these alternative varieties in the context of the wine show, um, and and it must also be. Uh, a great opportunity for you and for your customers to see what, what other people are doing with it and what varieties look like in other regions. Yeah, uh, look, it's, um, you know, the, the Saturday morning tasting
1: is a bit of a, um, uh, you know, treasure chest. You can go in there and somebody's you know, played around with a blend or made it in a certain way. And they may not always win the medals or trophies, those wines, but you look at them and go, that's really interesting, that's really cool. So the top too many probably wine shows in the country, maybe not even in the world, where you get that opportunity to look at so many different weird and wonderful varieties yeah. and uh, yeah. you know we spoke, I spoke about it yesterday I don't know if, I don't know if Brad put it in we've got the Schlenkemaica Bella and uh, you know tell that, me tell me about that story <laughs> oh, Schlenkemaica Bella yeah it's supposed to be Grillo and um, we planted it as Grillo coming back from Sicily I I, I fell in love with Grillo thought we planted Grillo um, and then over um, a, we were then informed that it wasn't Grillo and then it was DNA tested and then it was Grillo. We're told it was Grillo from Spain, and blah blah blah. And eventually, uh, we got the official uh, results, which was it was a variety called Schlanker Manca Bella from the Balkans. And I thought, oh. even when we were growing it, it just didn't look like Grillo from uh, uh, what we saw in in Sicily. And I was about to pull it out, and I take uh, you know Brad Weir to his credit said, Ah oh, no no, you know as you know Brad, he's a bit he's a he's a he's a crazy cat and. Uh, he said, let's do something with it." So mm. we um, we had to thin it. It's a huge cropper, we thinned it, and um, and Brad made this sort of real-textural sort of style wine, and it's it's good. You know, it's um it's a nice wine, and I think it's the only Manker Bella out in the market at the
0: moment. So uh, you <laughs> know, it's a it's a point of difference. Certainly got unique sales <laughs> uh, proposition. Um, and so, 14 years working at Yolumba, it's come to an end you're able to completely throw yourself into your your own endeavors. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next for 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 Ricaterra and and also for 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 yourself, other brands, other businesses. We've um, well
1: the, the our business works in I like, guess three ways. We've got the farm which is 150 odd acres. So we're uh, we're going to continue to remove things like Chardonnay and uh, um, and, and replant with alternatives. We've got a new patch I call the Portuguese Paddock, which is about, I don't know how many, it's 15 acres, and I think we've got nearly uh, 12 varieties in there. So that's get um, really exciting. Um, we're actually going to put in some of the new CSIRO varieties in one patch. Um, and there will be a, uh, after, we had a, we had a wine brand uh, 14 years ago, ago called Birchwood, and we exported that around, Around the world. It wasn't a big brand, it was 2,000 cases. So, we're we're going to launch a a Ricotera Farms brand. Um, We're very mindful that we don't want to compete with our customers. Mm -hmm. So, we're going to take our time to make sure that we look different in in our wine styles. One of the things that we've been doing over the years, um, and it's our wines like Sammy Wines. Got going, and also the field blend of Brad Weirs that he's currently got out at the moment is we've been experimenting, putting varieties together, and then making them into wine and just trialing them. And then, because I couldn't have a brand when I was at Yalumba, we gave the wine away to friends. And I mean, last year, Sam, uh, you know, he won two gold medals and a trophy with those wines that we just blended in the field. So we've planted vineyards uh, with that in mind. So the Portuguese paddock, the whole idea of that is actually to go and put those varieties together. So we're forward planning. So there'll be a brand. And other thing we've been doing is we just can't keep up with the supply. It's been amazing. So we actually have a really good group of uh, growers that grow for Ricotera Farms. Yeah. And um, we want to continue to work with them. And that's been, a, to me, one of the greatest stories out of um, ricotera is that a lot of these growers were getting nothing for their alternative varieties. They might be getting, you know, $180, $200 a ton. And, and in some cases, these growers were going to rip this fruit out because, you know, what was the point? And what's been really good is through Ricketerra we've been able to our customers have come to us and we've said, okay, why don't we, um, you know, as long as you sell under our brand, you know, I keep that brand protection is really important for us. And but I want you to grow the grapes in this fashion. I want you to do it this way. And we've worked together, and these growers are now getting really good money for their fruit. And yeah. um, it's a it's a it's a slow
0: movement, but uh, we're going to work more on that as well as working with our growers. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I, I I can imagine that you know it is sort of encouraging for growers in Riverland to sort of see Ricotera and, you know, the, the customers uh, of, of Ricotera Farms, you know, getting quite a bit of attention, you know, whether it's here at the Alternative Varieties Wine Show, or whether it's, you know, in media, but but also, you know, uh, the end consumer. Do you uh, really appreciate the opportunity to get out into the market? And, and like you said, doing, doing the tasting at Harry and Frankie's down in Melbourne, you know, like, do you like seeing the wines out there and, and talking to the people who are actually buying them in the shops?
1: Oh, I love it. You know, it, I just absolutely. There's no better feeling. That the thing about grape growing is that you have to have a long-term vision. So you know, you put a put a variety in. Let's say, for example, uh, you know, we're putting in some um, uh, Tariga I know in five or six years' time, when somebody's bought that's put in a label, but someone's going to drink that and they're going to go, "Well, thank you for that. That's really nice. It might win a award." So the biggest thrill is that is actually looking at something, believing in it, believing in it will work, executing it, and then naturally seeing somebody really enjoyed it at the end. And you know, that's that's a you know, very fortunate to actually be able to do that. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I love going out there and talking to people, and and even when people say, "Oh, the wine's not that good," you know, that's fine. You know, everybody's got their opinion, and sometimes, you know, some
0: of our producers do some crazy stuff that people just don't like, but they seem to sell the wine. So, well, it's funny you mentioned crazy stuff. Um, you know, obviously, again, there was the uh, the branding, the, the the packaging discussion yesterday at the talk and taste, uh, and. Some of your customers have got some very very bold mm. labels. You know, do you think that's a really important part of of their story? You know, they're they're making bold wines from varieties that are you know fairly unfamiliar to a lot of customers, uh, and then they put them in these really really, you know, standout sort of bottles. What, what do you think that that's a, a really important part of that as well? Oh, look, well, it's it's. Um, I mean,
1: probably my favourite label is um, you know. Uh, Brad Hickey's Zabiba I mean that sun you know, it just stands out and it's you know, it's, not, it's not a big volume wine but it's amazing where you it know, sells you see out of it almost <laughs> immediately see it, it's everywhere you know and uh, and even um, Sue's Ant Series and um, then you've got Deliquante's you know okay it's not my sort of style of label but you know, um, you know G- G- Greg says you just you know people love it mm. so I, I think the good thing is that, um, is that with those labels is that they're quite diverse and I mean I love the uh, um, Brad Wears, all those art artwork stuff, and people, you know, they pick it up. And go, oh, we love that. It's really nice. So, I think label art uh, uh, art in regards to the label of labels are um,
0: they attract different types of people. So to have that diversity is really important. And and social media, I think, is also a really important part of that because I'm sure that you know, in a lot of cases, people love putting taking a picture of those labels mm. and putting them on Insta- on Instagram. You know, they are what I call very Instagrammable labels. um and, and and I mean, your that's a social media is a pretty important part of your your business and your your marketing. You mentioned before um, whether it's whether it's the customers of the grapes themselves or whether it's you know the consumers who are drinking the wines of your customers. You know, like do you really um, appreciate the opportunity to uh, you know, use social media to connect with uh, you know a, a much broader audience?
1: Oh, that question, I mean, uh, as I said before, I mean we are so lucky to have social media because. You can actually communicate with so many people and tell so many stories and you can help your customers out you can help the industry out you can help the region out and again it's one of my frustrations has been that um you when when you hear people going on oh, you know social media is overrated or you know i don't believe in social media they're generally the people that don't have much to do with social media it's so powerful and you can be you know we we actually have um, you know as a grape grower you know we've actually sold quite a bit of fruit over um, through social media. You know, we've tweeted or f- Facebooked or Instagrammed about, you know, one of our producers doing really well. And next thing you know, we get a direct message back said, Oh, do you have any more fruit? Um, and the thing is that um, every grower has that opportunity to do that, but they've got to create a story. And that's the thing about branding. You know, we heard it yesterday. It's about the story and it's about, so people in growers, growers in particular, you know, need to find that unique story
0: about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Ashley, we are you know very much eating into our time to be able to taste all these wonderful mm. wines, um, so I wanted to say thank you very much for for making some time you know obviously you've been very busy the last fourteen years <laughs> at your lumber <laughs> so it's nice to finally be able to get you on the podcast and, and I really have appreciated talking to you today um, for, for the listeners um, what's the best way for them to to follow Rigaterra farms uh, well, online well we've got um, a website which is uh Holly
1: says we don't use www. so it's just Ricotera. You don't need to. I know that. Still, I'm a bit old fashioned. There, but I'm you don't sure. need to put it in. But I'm going to use it, www.ricaterrafarms.com.au yep.
0: uh,
1: or through social media. So that's the best way to contact us.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, yeah, thanks Thanks again. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how the uh, your customers have fared this year. Well, let's
1: hope they do well. We have to reconsider the situation <laughs> if they don't perform. <laughs> Thank you, James. It'll be great. Thank you.
0: And thank you guys for listening to another episode of The Vincast. I have been James Guestbrook, otherwise known as the Intrepid Wino. Uh, And uh, please do reach out to Ashley uh, if you'd like to just share your thoughts about this week's episode, if you'd like to thank him. Uh, But also if if you're interested in buying some grapes from him to make some wine in uh, the 2017 vintage. Uh, And, of course, uh, shout out to all of the growers uh, in the Murray-Darling Basin and uh, in South Australia for the uh, unfortunate uh, weather events they had recently um, you know hailstorms uh, really did devastate a lot of vineyards so uh, please throw some support their way uh, if you'd like to follow me on social media you can find me on twitter and instagram at uh, intrepid wino and also the podcast can be found on twitter at the vincast uh, you can find my facebook page facebook.com forward slash intrepid wino uh, like the page uh, check out some of the posts uh, i've linked uh, and also uh, some photos i would shared as mentioned, I have my uh, YouTube channel, Intrepid Wino, where I post different video content, uh, particularly my Let's Taste videos, where I've tasted quite a few uh, wines from the Ricaterra Farms uh, grapes, uh, and uh, make sure you subscribe, subscribed, why don't I like a few videos, and leave some comments. I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast because, as mentioned at the start of the episode, it's a a great way to uh, actually get the newest episode as as soon as it becomes available. uh, And also, it's a great way to provide feedback to myself and potential listeners and guests by leaving a five-star rating and a review. Uh, All that information can be found at intrepidwino.com and you can also find a way to get in contact with me there. But uh, look, until next time, bye.